better for you if you sat on this side, if you're comfortable where you are, and that's fine. Um, but I'm going to be pointing a lot to this side, and I don't want to be in your way. But if you're fine where you are, then I'm fine where you are. It's up to you. There is one scripture that I'd like you to turn to. This will be the one that, that I, as I see now, we'll be sticking with for a little while. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. We're, we're going to look at that in just a little while. So go ahead and keep it there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. All right. Just so that the junior high and high school know, or, or the youth know, you will be staying with us for the next five weeks. All right. So don't stay home. Because you uh, don't want to be here, you need to understand this, okay? So, if you want to sit on that side, you can. But it, you, wherever you're comfortable, you're comfortable. Since we're all family, um, we're going to keep this hopefully informal, but the uh, the message will be straightforward, okay? Uh, Paul, can you do me a favor? Just pull that door shut, please. Sure. Thank you, sir. I'm going to open up in prayer. And then we'll get started. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase, but I become less so that you can become more. I pray, God, that you would move me out of the way tonight, that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear you, God. They would see you. They would hear your word. They would understand your word. They would understand the concept of or the doctrine of sola scriptura. And God, I pray that we would glorify you because of this great truth. That our view of Scripture would become grander. And that our view and, and, and love for you, God, would grow more and more. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're still a Roman Catholic, then I'd like to welcome you. You may or may not be, but if you are and you don't know why you aren't, then hopefully you find out tonight. Amen. I've been promising to... To give a presentation of the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church and how they differ from Orthodox evangelicalism for some time now. And so that promise is now coming to fruition. For the next five weeks, we will be discussing and I will be presenting to you some of the most fundamentally essential teachings of evangelicalism, which you all are evangelical Protestants. And also how they differ from the Roman Catholic Church. We will be discussing subjects such as, and they may not be up there, scripture and tradition. The gospel according to Rome. The claims of the papacy. Mariology. And the mass. Every single one of these will be dealt with within the next five weeks. And I pray that as we embark on these studies, that you will do your homework. That you will not just take my word for everything that I'm preaching to you or teaching you, but that you will go off on your own. and You will decide whether or not what is being taught here is true. I encourage you to do so. I'd like to start with a, an example from Basil of Caesarea. This is between 330 and 379. He encountered opponents who claimed authority for their own custom and tradition over against that which was prevailed in Basil's experience. And this is his response. If custom is to be taken in proof of what is right, then it is certainly competent for me to put forward on my side the custom which obtains here. If they reject this, we are clearly not bound to follow them. Therefore, let God inspired scripture decide between us and on whichever side be found doctrines in harmony with the word of God. 
in favor of that side will be cast the vote of truth. I'll get to what that means in just a moment. Disputes about what Christians should believe have have existed since the days of the apostles. There are no apostles today, but the apostles have left for us the inspired word of God or the God breathed scriptures. You're going to hear me say this word a lot tonight. The which means God breathed. Basil, who we just read, he appealed in this confrontation to the word of God. In order to settle the dispute between him and his opponents, he goes to the ultimate authority, the word of God. Because all believers, you and I, are bound to the final authority of the word of God. His word is the final word. Somebody say amen. At the time of the Reformation, there were two great cries that were heard in the land. And both of them were said in Latin. Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide. Or sola fide, sola scriptura. Sola fide is the material principle of the Reformation. It is known as the material principle. Here's the material principle. Salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. This is known as the material principle. The gospel message of the free gift of God's grace and the fact that he makes men right with himself through Christ's atoning work on the cross. This is the material principle of the Reformation. We're going to talk about this next week. The formal principle of the Reformation is this. Sola Scriptura. The Reformers boldly taught that dogmas and beliefs defined on a basis other than scriptures were not binding on Christians. What dogmas are we talking about? Dogmas such as papal infallibility, indulgences, purgatory the mass, and others which we will discuss throughout the next five weeks. The reformers argued that the only infallible rule of faith is found where? In the Holy Scriptures. And in the Holy Scriptures alone, or sola scriptura. Many of you have never heard, besides you hearing it here, have never heard of the doctrine or the concept of sola scriptura. And the reason for that is because much of our church history reaches back only as far as Billy Graham. I'll say that again. Many of us have never heard of sola scriptura because much of our church history only reaches back as far as Billy Graham. And the other reason why we don't know anything about Sola Scriptura is because the pulpit has drifted away from this truth. The pulpit preaching on Sundays have drifted away from the truth of Sola Scriptura. And I would like to define for you what Sola Scriptura is. But before I define for you what it is, I would like to define for you what it is not. Number one, Sola Scriptura is not a claim That the Bible contains all knowledge, meaning that the Bible is not meant to be a science textbook. The Bible is not meant to be a manual on governmental procedures. The Bible is not meant to teach you how to change your oil. Does that make sense? It is not claimed to give us every bit of, of knowledge that we could ever attain in this world. Number two, Sola Scriptura is not a claim that the Bible is an exhaustive catalog of all religious knowledge. 
John, the Apostle John, commented on the wide range of Jesus's ministry, saying in John chapter 21, verse number 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. Have you ever thought about what those things were? When John mentions there's many other things that Jesus did. Which, if they were written in detail, John says, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. John says, if everything was written down that Jesus said and did, there would not be enough books in the world to contain all of that information. Because of this, a Roman Catholic apologist, Carl Keating, says the Bible actually denies that is that it is the complete rule of faith. John tells us that not everything concerning Christ's work in Scripture that is wait, let me say, that, that not everything concerning Christ's work is in Scripture. And Paul says that much Christian teaching is to be found in the tradition that is handed down by word of mouth. What is he saying? He's saying this. Because the scriptures do not contain an exhaustive detail of all that it could have or all of the details that it could be detailing, then scripture is not sufficient for us. Catch that. This is a Roman Catholic apologist speaking for Rome who says, because of this scripture, scripture does not contain everything that is necessary for you and I. Therefore, scripture is not sufficient enough. We must look elsewhere. And where must we look when we are looking elsewhere? Well, Keating points this out in tradition. You look for tradition. And. It is in these so-called traditions that we will find the dogmatic teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. But how many details do we need that are not found in Scripture? Do we need to know the color of Bartholomew's hair? In order for Scripture to be sufficient as our source of divine truth? Do we need to know what the disciples ate on a daily basis in order for for the Scriptures to be sufficient in truth? Do we need to know what kind of sandals Peter was wearing? In order for us to know that scripture is sufficient for us. The obvious answer is no. It is obvious that the Bible doesn't need to be exhaustive in order for it to be sufficient. As our source, our sole source of divine truth and authority. The Bible has given us all that we need or all that God has intended for us to know. Number three, sola scriptura is not a denial of the church's authority or the authority of the church to teach God's truth. Many times Rome will present you with two choices, scripture or the church. Now they will deny this, but this is exactly the case. And Rome, by her own admission, hates the doctrine of sola scriptura. As a matter of fact, Rome, by her own apologist uh, confession, hate all of the solas. Dr. Pacwa, a Roman Catholic apologist, says Rome hates all of the solas and I hate all of the solas. If you don't know what all the solas are, you will find out soon. Instead, Rome believes this. Rome believes that she has the authority to determine what God has said and what God has not said. For you former Roman Catholics, this is very, very important. I'm telling you why you left Rome. In order to avoid looking like Rome, some Protestants have abandoned any involvement in the church in order to downplay the role that the church was given by Christ. First Timothy, chapter three, verse 15 says, but in case I am delayed, 
I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. There is a difference between recognizing and confessing the church as a pillar and support of truth than confessing the church to be the final power and authority to define what that truth is. Does that make sense? So there's, there's a difference between acknowledging the pillar and support of truth versus saying that the church has the authority to determine what that truth is. The church, as the body of Christ, represents and upholds the truth. But the church remains subjected to the truth or under that truth, not above that truth. We are the bride of Christ. We listen to and we obey the words of our Lord. And those words are found in Scripture and they are found in Scripture alone. Number four, sola scriptura is not a denial that the word of God has at times been spoken. There is nothing in this doctrine that denies the simple reality that in times past, the word of God was spoken through preaching of the prophets and the apostles as well as written. But the preaching is the exception, not the rule. The rule is found in the scriptures. The rule of God's word is found in the scriptures. The exception is through prophets and apostles. And we have no more of those today. So we rely on the holy scriptures. The Protestant position <coughs> insists that all God intends for us to have that is infallible, binding and authoritative today has been provided for us in the certain, clear and understandable, reliable scriptures of the word of God. We Protestants, Protestants are remonstrants. We are protesting. We are still protesting today. We argue that the scriptures are complete, while Rome argues that they are not complete. And that they need to be supplemented by oral traditions, not just scripture that carry inspired revelation. These oral traditions, they carry inspired revelation and they are a traditional source of interpretation. Number five, sola scriptura does not entail the rejection of every kind or, or form of tradition, meaning this. There are some forms or kinds of traditions that are God honoring and useful to the church. Sola Scriptura means that any tradition, though, any tradition that we find, no matter how ancient it might seem or how holy it might seem, it must be tested by a higher authority. And that higher authority is the word of God. So if there is a tradition, no matter how old it may seem or how beautiful and holy it may be, if it does not line up with Scripture, then we reject it. Number six, sola scriptura is not a denial of the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and enlightening the church. So when we say sola scriptura, we are not, this is not a muzzle the Holy Spirit kind of doctrine. Instead, it is a trusting the Holy Spirit kind of doctrine because the Holy Spirit has spoken. And if he has spoken, then we rely on what he has said. It's right here. And it is his job to enlighten this truth. To give your mind guidance in understanding this truth, even to you young ones. Do not think that the Holy Spirit cannot lead you and guide you in understanding this truth. You have the same Holy Spirit that your pastor does, and he does the same work in enlightening the truth to you as he does to me. 
Number seven, Sola Scriptura is not a promise of unity amongst we who believe in the scriptures alone. There are Arminians and Calvinists who both believe in Sola Scriptura, but yet they are on opposite sides of the spectrum. Just because we believe that the word of God is true does not mean that we are all going to be on the same page. And Rome is also not on the same page before there are many different sects of Rome that are not in agreement. So now that we have defined what it is not, let's define what Sola Scriptura is. Number one, Sola Scriptura is scripture alone are sufficient to function as regula fide or infallible rule of faith for the church. I've written it up there for you. We are talking about the nature of scripture. They are God breathed, theanustas, sufficient to provide the rule of faith necessary for the church's mission in the world. Meaning that everything that we need for salvation, for faith, and for our mission is found in Scripture. Number two, Sola Scriptura is all that one must believe to be a Christian is found in the Scriptures and no other source. I am not the source of infallible truth. The scriptures are the source. John MacArthur is not the source of infallible truth. The scriptures are so on and so on and so on. All of my favorites. I will say the same thing about them. The scriptures are the source. There is no necessary belief, doctrine or dogma absolutely required for any person for entrance into the kingdom of God that is not found in the revelation of God in the pages of the scriptures. Am I this is making sense? Is it being driven home? Good. Number three. That which is not found in Scripture, either directly or by implication, is not binding upon the Christian church or the Christian or the church. There's a quote from Dr. James White. The Bible claims to be the sole and sufficient infallible rule of faith for the Christian church. The scriptures are not in need of any supplement. If you don't get anything tonight, highlight this. The scriptures are not in need of any supplement. They don't need help. Where am I at? (laughs) Their authority comes from their nature as being God breathed revelation. Their authority is not from some person with any kind of charisma speaking it. Their authority comes from the fact that they are God breathed. Their authority is not dependent on a man, a church or a council. The scriptures are self-consistent, self-interpreting and self-authenticating. Christian church looks to the scriptures as the only infallible and sufficient rule of faith and the church all is always subjected to the word and is constantly reformed. Dr. James White, I encourage you to go find anything that he has written. Our very own confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you if anybody wants to ask you, what does your church believe? Our confession is the Westminster Confession. Point them to that. It points to our theology, to what we believe. All of the things that we believe are found in the Westminster Confession. Our confession states in chapter one, four. The authority of the Holy Scriptures for which it ought to be believed and obeyed dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God 
who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. Chapter one, seven says all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, not alike clear unto all. Yet all things which are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of others of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned induce in due use of the ordinary means may obtain unto a sufficient understanding of them. What? Meaning scripture reveals all things necessary for salvation, which is our fourth point. Not that scripture is exhaustive of all knowledge, but that which is necessary for salvation is clear and it is found in scripture. Faith, grace, Christ, etc. They are all there. Five, all traditions are subject to a higher authority of scripture. We just read this. Jesus says, as he's speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse number four, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For the sake of your tradition, you break the commandment of God because you will not break from your tradition. I'm sure it was very hard for many of you who were who had grown up in the Catholic Church to get over the fact that you are not there on Sunday taking the mass and, and going to confession or saying any Hail Marys. But yet you hold to the word of God rather than holding to your tradition. And God bless you for that. The Roman Catholic may ask you, on what biblical basis do you hold Sola Scriptura? As a matter of fact, I will promise you this. If you speak to a Catholic who knows their stuff and you say, I, I'm a Reformed uh, Protestant and I go to Reformation Bible Church. And they say they will say, oh, you don't believe in Sola Scriptura, do you? And you'll say, yeah, we just taught on that. And they will say to you, where do you find that in the Bible? And don't look at me the way you're looking at me now. You better have an answer. And I'll give you the answer tonight. We answer by stating Sola Scriptura is based first on the nature of Scripture. The nature of Scripture is it is the word of God. It is not man made. It is the word of God. So when we say Sola Scriptura or Scripture alone, we're pointing to the Scriptures because it is only the Scriptures that are from God. It is the it is only the Scriptures that are reliably from God. Amen. Scripture itself cannot be sufficient unless we believe that the nature of Scripture is divine. It's not sufficient unless it's divine. If it's not divine, then it's not sufficient. But because it is divine, it is sufficient. Does that make sense? People don't believe the Bible is sufficient anymore. As a matter of fact, if you go into Protestant churches today and if you go into Catholic churches today and ask them, is the word of God completely divine and perfect? Half will say yes. Half will say no. That is how far away we have we have strayed from sola scriptura. The reformers had the highest view of God and his word and therefore had a solid foundation on which to stand in defending the sufficiency of the scriptures. So, number one, we first say we hold the Sola Scriptura because the scriptures are divine and they are God breathed. Number two, I'd like you to read with me. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse number 14. (coughs) 
It says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul states that which is and I've written, written it up there for you guys. It's here. The Anustas is able by its very nature, because it is divine to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ, meaning all things necessary for man's salvation are found in the scriptures. Secondly, to e- fully equip the man of God for the work of the ministry. All things necessary for faith and for life. Sola Scriptura. Paul was saying that these words are coming straight from God. They are his words breathed into these pages. I'd like to read a quote for you from B.B. Warfield. What it affirms, the scriptures, is that the scriptures owe their origin to an activity of God, the Holy Spirit, and are the highest, in the highest and truest sense, his creation. It is on the foundation of divine origin that all the high attributes of scripture are built. And here's the point. Because of its origin in God himself, the authority of scripture is God's authority. Because of the origin, God, the authority is from God because it's God speaking. One of the things that we must deal with in the matters that we are going to talk about for the next five five weeks is who has the ultimate authority? What is our source of religious truth? I come to you this evening not to announce some doctrine of my own that I have concocted of my own desire, will or thoughts. But rather, I come to you tonight to prove the truth of the doctrine of Sola Scriptura and to show that the scriptures do teach that they are sufficient to act as our sole infallible rule of faith for the church. There are two positions and Rome will present you with these two positions. You can have the position of sola scriptura or you can have the position of what is called sola ecclesia, the church. The church alone or the scriptures alone. Because that is what Rome is presenting. You follow what the church believes and teaches or you go off on your own and you become an apostate. I believe that the Bible because of the authority of the Bible, is the ultimate and only rule of authority for the believer. Rome claims that she is the ultimate infallible authority. Therefore, it is sola scriptura versus sola ecclesia. Rome claims that she has the ultimate authority to define the content of Scripture. What she means is that she has the right to determine the canon of Scripture. And what that means is she has the right, she thinks, to define what is Scripture and what is not Scripture. That's why you find in their book the Apocrypha, because they have defined that as being Scripture. She claims that she has the ultimate and infallible authority to determine the meaning and interpretation of Scripture as well. So not only does she have the right to define what what is scripture, but also what scripture means. 
Rome claims that she has the infallible, ultimate infallible authority to determine also the extent of tradition, meaning that she and she alone can tell you what is and what is not tradition. And she also claims to have the authority to determine what tradition does and does not teach. How scary is that? So while Rome claims to be a servant to the scriptures and a servant to the traditions, she in reality is the master determining what the scripture is and what it means and what tradition is and what the tradition means. If you define two sources and claim to be the only one who knows what those two sources say, you can't be a servant to those two sources. You're the master of those two sources. They say, we serve tradition. We serve the scriptures. No, you are dictating those things. And they are your slave masters. Or they are your slave and you are the master. Rome will not defend herself on this matter because she feels no need to. She thinks that God has given her the keys of authority to Peter. We'll talk about this later. The doctrine of Sola Scriptura is straightforward, but rarely is it represented properly or even understood properly by Roman Catholics. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 31, Have you not read what was said to you by God? The scriptures are speaking to us. They are God-breathed. They are honest to us. God's word is the ultimate authority in all things. And God cannot refer, refer to any other higher authority than himself in order to establish what he has said. His word is the absolute authority. Augustine said, What more shall I teach you then than what we read in the apostles? A this from the 4th century. For Holy Scripture fixes the rule for our doctrine, lest we dare be wiser than we are. Therefore, I should not teach you anything else except to expound to you the words of the teacher. What is he saying? I should just do expository preaching to you and let God speak for himself. Everyone has a final source of truth. Everyone has a final source of authority. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholics, and even you Protestants. But what is that final source? Matthew chapter 18 is often used to make the church look like the ultimate source of authority. Jesus commends those in Revelation who were testing apostles to see if they were so, and they weren't. The Bereans, after Paul taught, they went back and looked after, looked looked up everything that Paul had taught to make sure it was biblical. They had a source of truth. That source of truth was the word of God. Rome will say that the church is the pillar and foundation of that truth, of, of, the, of the truth. And I will agree because it is biblical. But what does a pillar and foundation do? It holds something else up. What does the church do? The church is supposed to hold up the truth of God for all men to see and for all men to hear the truth so that she, but she must never confuse herself as being the truth. She holds up the truth. She is not the truth. She holds up the truth. She holds up Christ. But she's not Christ. And she's not the source of truth. The scriptures are. The church is the body of Christ. And as we hear Christ speaking, we obey his word. And we never substitute ourselves for the voice of God. Only the scriptures are God-breathed. The church is never described in scriptures as being God-breathed. 
only the scriptures are God breathed. Rome will say the tradition is inspired. The Council of Trent said that God's revelation comes part and part, meaning this partly written in tradition, partly found in oral tradition. They'll say there's one source, but then they say part and part, partly in tradition, partly in scripture. So if you don't have all the scriptures, then you don't have everything that God intended for you to know. If you got the scriptures, you only have half of what God wanted you to know. And where do you find the rest of what God wanted you to know? Where do you find the rest of the story? In Rome. And if you are not a part of the church, then Rome will say to you, you are not a part of the one true church. And some of you are not sure if you left the one true church. Second Thessalonians 2.15, I won't go there. I want to read to you a quote from a man by the name of Athanasius. He says, for indeed, the holy and God-breathed scriptures are self-sufficient for the preaching of the truth. Athanasius was an amazing man. He stood against all the councils during his day. He was kicked out of his church five times for not going with the flow. He was pursued at one time. Five thousand people at five thousand soldiers at his front door and he goes out the back. He's captured still, but will not recant. This man held on to a truth. And that truth was I will only hold to what scripture teaches. And if it's not found in scripture, then you're going to have to kill me because I won't bow my knee to it. We owe men like Athanasius, men like John Wycliffe, when like men like John Hus who came before all of these reformers and yet we're holding on to this truth that only the scriptures are the place where we find the truth of the word of God or truth of God. His ultimate source of authority was the scriptures. Let me ask you a question. Can you trace the bodily assumption of Mary in scripture? How about papal infallibility? How about purgatory? How about indulgences? No, you are using a different source of truth, which is no truth at all because it has no authority if you try to uphold these false dogmas. Why do Roman Catholics believe these things? Because Rome said so. That's why. No other reason. No other reason. Rome said so. You believe it. I am telling you, don't take my word for it. Go and find out if it's true. And if it's not, then God help you. Because I know it is. This proves my point that it is sola ecclesia versus sola scriptura. It's what Rome says versus what the Bible says. And which side will you take? I close with the words of Christ when confronted with people and the traditions and that said that they were divine. Jesus said, Matthew 15, 6, for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. The Jews claim that their traditions came from God. They claim that their traditions were given to them by Moses and passed down orally through Scripture. And Jesus said, if anyone comes to you, anyone comes to you, me, Isaiah, Johnny, MacArthur, Sproul, you name it. If anyone comes to you and claims to have a tradition, even if they say it is divine, you have a way of testing it. And you will be held responsible for testing that tradition. And the way you test it 
is that, is by that, which is theonustas. God breathed. You test it by the Holy Scriptures and these Scriptures alone, sola scriptura. Let's pray.